Evening, church. First off, I want to say happy Father's Day to those of you in the room who are fathers. And I know your job is not easy, but it is actually very important. And it's actually one of the hardest jobs that a man can have. Fathers are often misunderstood. I remember when I was younger, very young, when we first, our family first moved to Australia, our family had nothing but the clothes on our back. And I remember my dad, he was working day shift and night shift. And so I hardly saw my father. And I was a very bitter kid at that time. I would say and I would blame my dad, Dad, you don't love me because you never spend any time with me. But then as I get older, something clicked. I remember there was a time where he bought home a Woolies chicken. It's, it's very cheap. It's a Woolies chicken. And, and as the family sits down and eats, mum's eating, the kids are eating, and, and we're eating. He gives me the drumstick because he knows that I love that piece the most. And as I was eating, I asked dad, dad, why aren't you eating? And he said, I'm full. Then I go off to play with my siblings. And then I remember turning back into the kitchen. And I saw my dad eating the bones. You don't understand the Father's love until you understand the Father's sacrifice. And as dads, we often sacrifice a lot. But as dads, we, we, we don't like to boast about it. We don't like to talk about it. And so today, I want to encourage you and I want to honor you dads because I know you dads are doing the best you could to be a good earthly dad to your children. And so if you are sitting near your dad, give him a hug. If you're sitting near your husband, give him a kiss. If, if, you're, at, if, you're, at, if you're with some random dad, give him a high five or just a fist bump. And so tonight's our passage, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Genesis 22. We'll be going through verses 1 to 14. And if you know your Bibles well, you realize that, hey, Pastor Dexter, isn't this a story where Abraham sacrificed Isaac? Like, how is that going to be a good Father's Day service sermon? What's going on? Again, you do not understand the Father's love until you understand the Father's sacrifice. And so if I could title my sermon tonight, I will title, I will title it, A Father's Sacrifice. But before we dig into the passage, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you send the Holy Spirit. Help us to understand this passage and help us to see your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis 22 verse 1 starts off with some time later or after the, these things, depending which Bible version that you have. So what do you mean after these things? Let me give you a little brief context of over the life of Abraham. He was called out of his home, out of his pagan home, and God just told him to move. And as he moved, God also promised him a son. And Abraham and Sarah, his wife, was waiting and waiting and waiting, waiting for 25 years, still no son, until that son was born. And he was already 100 years old. Sarah was 90 years old. And then finally, they get this boy, this promised child, and they named him Isaac. Because Isaac means laughter. And this boy, they were the source of their joy. 
their laughter. They love this child. And then what happens is Abraham, he's old now. He starts to settle down. If you just read the verse before chapter 22, it says he plants a tree. Now, when you plant a tree, it means that you're not going anywhere. It means you're not going anywhere. It's like, I'm planted the tree here. This is my tree. This is my house. This is my territory. I'm not moving anywhere else. He's retiring. And so when we get to Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, Abraham, he's already retired. But things are going good for Abraham. Because if you know the location where he is at, he's, he's in the Mediterranean. Geographically, he's actually at the coast. So imagine him at the sea under a tree with sunnies on, sipping on some bubble tea. Now that's what I call the retirement plan. He's having it good. And at that moment, after these things, God comes and he tests him. But Abraham doesn't know that God's testing him. But he hears from God, Abraham. And straight away, Abraham knew it was the voice of God. Because why? Because him and God had such a close, intimate relationship. That's why he can respond, here I am. It shows intimacy. It was immediate. It was instant. He was excited to hear God's voice. I have a daughter named Ariel. Every morning when I come into Ariel's room and I say, hey, Ariel, she will jump up and she will say, hi, melts my heart. Abraham was excited to hear God, but he has no clue what's, what's going to happen. And God lays out the test in verse 2. And he says, Abraham, take your only son, your only son, your boy Isaac, whom you love. He's your heartbeat. He's your source of laughter. And go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains and which where I will tell you. A burnt offering. Is a sacrifice that where you burn up the whole thing, you save nothing behind because God wants it all. There's nothing to spare. And again, God was testing Abraham. But remember, keep in mind for the rest of this message, Abraham had no idea that this was a test at all. Abraham thought God was legit. And I wonder how Abraham's thought process was. Let us attempt now especially the fathers, to put ourselves into the shoes of Abraham. Because in this story, we know there's a happy ending. We know that the, the fire and the knife was spared. But Abraham didn't know that. And so when we look at this, this story, we can remove ourselves. Because we read it as readers viewing from hindsight of history. We know everything already. There's no suspense to us. But again, let's try to put yourself in the shoes of Abraham. Imagine the dilemma that Abraham had to face. Hey God, go kill your son. If this was me, first of all, I'd be choking on my bubble tea right now on a pill. <coughs> Don't waste pills. <laughs> beg, beg your pardon, God? You heard right. Go kill your son. Whoa, God, like, can you take someone else? Like, why, why my son? You don't know how scary my wife is. Before I even touch the son, she'll kill me. No, go sacrifice your son. What was Abraham's response like? 
He actually gets an early start. Verse 3, it says, Early the next morning, he saddles the donkey, he takes two servants, and it tells, the Bible tells us he's the one that's chopping the wood for the burnt offering. It's really scary, horrific, if you really think about it. If it was me, I would be trying to delay the process. God, you sure about this? Why don't you go, no, no disrespect, God, why don't you go back to your council of angel, angels and, and bounce the idea around while I sit here with the boy? Because that command was crazy. But no, immediately, the next morning, chill out, Abraham. Sometimes what is said in Scripture baffles me. But other times, what is not said in Scripture really baffles me. Because in Genesis, over the overview of Abraham's life, just a few chapters before that, Genesis chapter 19, we get introduced to an Abraham that has stellar negotiation skills. Abraham, who had the guts to barter with God. He knows we shouldn't, we shouldn't battle with God, but Abraham did. Because God was about to destroy a corrupt city. And Abraham said, plead for the city. God, what if I just find 50 people? Don't destroy the city. And God says, okay. And then Abraham goes, how about 45 people? And God still said, okay. All right, 30. 20. And Abraham still had the audacity to say, God, what about 10 people? And God says, okay. And because of Abraham's plea, God's wrath was averted from the city. But here in our passage, I see no begging. I see no begging for Isaac whatsoever. Where Abraham, you can beg God for a sinful city. You you do not beg God for the life of your beloved son. What's going on? What would you do if you had kids? I have a daughter named Ariel, like most of you guys know, and she just turned one years old yesterday, exactly yesterday. And she's a sweet, silly little girl, and I love her to bits. And Ariel, when you're grown up and you're listening to this podcast, Daddy loves you forever, (laughs) five ever. I would plea with God. I would look at my daughter and I would plea with God. God, not the child, but take me. Can you take me? And I'm sure many of the parents here would, would prefer that. Lord, can you take me instead of the child? But look what happens. It was none of that. And it seems they've been traveling for three days now. Verse 4. And the Bible records there is no conversation at all. It seems like the journey was painfully silent, almost eerie. And when they reached the place, Abraham then speaks up and he turns to his two servants and he says, you guys stay here while me and the boy will go over there and worship the Lord and we'll come back. Abraham then takes the wood and then he, for the burnt offering and then he places on his son's back, makes the son carry it up to the mountain and while he carries the fire and the knife. What's going on? This seems like a sick joke to me. Verse 7, Then Isaac spoke up, Father, Abba, Hey, Dad. Hey, Daddy. How did Abraham respond? Yes, my son. 
Isaac, he's sharp. He's beginning to pick up. Dad, we, we, we have everything but the lamb. So if you were a parent, if you were a dad, how would you respond? Look at how Abraham responds. He responds, God will provide the lamb, my son. Abraham's not trying to be sly here and saying, I don't know, we'll see. Like, he's not trying to be sly. He's just being honest to, to Isaac. I just trust God. I don't know how the mechanics or, or the intricacies of this plan, how it's going to go, but I'm going to trust that God's going to provide the sacrifice, my son. And this word son gets mentioned 13 times in this passage alone which seems to be pretty important to me. The Bible is pretty much waving this flag to me. This, this sonship is very important and requires your attention. Because what did a son represent back in those days? Isaac, he wasn't just carrying the wood. He also carried all Abraham's hopes and dreams. Or he was Abraham's emotional center. It was Abraham's social status. Back in the ancient days, no matter how rich you were, no matter how powerful you were, you were a laughingstock if you had no heir. Why? Because you have no one to continue your lineage, no one to carry your name. You will become a joke. And at this point, Isaac was Abraham's one and only son. His sole objective of Abraham's familiar love. And Abraham would have viewed Isaac's life as more precious than his own. And the two continues to walk together. And when they reach the place, when they reach that destination on top of that mountain hill, verse 9, Abraham then builds an altar and he arranges the ruin himself. And then he bounds his son and lays Isaac on the altar. And I wonder how Isaac would have reacted. Because if this was me, I'll be saying, Dad, there's no lamb there's five with no lamb. Dad, I'm seeing you holding a sharp knife. Dad, you're tying me. Quit playing. You're crazy. But that's not how it plays out. Often this story, when we think about it or when we hear about it, we, we often believe it's a struggle of one father with a helpless child and that child was a victim. But that's not true. Because Isaac was actually not a victim, but a willing participant in all this. He was old enough to make his own logical choice. And his choice was to follow his father's will. When we read in the Bible, in the English, it does it no justice. When it, the Bible says, and the boy, it describes Isaac as a boy. We're thinking a five-year-old boy, a little toddler that's just, just walking and, and waddling. But no, conservative Christian scholars say that Isaac is around 15 to, 25, uh, to 20 years old. The historian Jehoshaphat, the Jewish historian, says that Isaac was around 25 years old. And what's also interesting is that Talmud, which is the Jewish collection of all the rabbis' thoughts put together, they believe that Isaac was already 33 in this story. He's 33. So if you think about it logically, Isaac would have been old enough to carry the firewood all the way up the mountain and enough firewood that will burn long enough and hot enough to consume a whole sacrifice. Now let's do your math. 
Abraham would have been around 115 to 133 years old. And Isaac, he's not a small boy, he's a big boy now. He could have easily resisted his father. He could have easily just run away from the situation. But no, he lets himself get bound because he was a willing participant. He was willing. And then verse 10. After everything was set up and done, Abraham then reaches out his hand, takes the knife, raise it up to slay his son. Now let's stop and think about it. If you were Abraham, if time stopped, how would you be feeling? Can you even grip the handle of the knife? Can you pull the trigger? Because I know I couldn't. And I know I wouldn't. And during this time, let's say I was obedient. Let's say I'm putting myself in here. Let's say I was obedient enough, crazy enough to go through of what God says. And as I was about to slay my son, Ariel, on the altar, God calls out. I hear a voice from heaven again. Dexter, Dexter. How would I respond to this? Church, I've I've wrestled with this passage for a long time and um, I don't want to sound holy and righteous in front of you guys. I want to be honest with you guys. You know how I would respond? I would respond in fury and anger. I thought about this. If I was put in Abraham's shoes and on the altar was my daughter, Ariel. And if I hear God call my name in those sort of circumstances, Dexter, Dexter, What is it now, God? I trust you. That's why I left my home. I left my family. I waited and waited for years, 25 years, in fact, to have this one child. And you said this child will will bless many nations. And now you want to take this child from me? And I'm about to to destroy this child? And, And yet you're calling me again? What else do you have me to do? But this is the reason why Abraham is called the father of faith. Look at how he responds. He responds with, here I am. How he responds in verse 1 is now how he responds exactly. Intimately, immediately, and instantly. Humbly, here I am. And the voice from heaven says, don't kill the boy. Don't harm him. And then Abraham looks up and he finds a ram in the thickets and he takes that ram in place of his son. Now this is crazy. It's, it's a happy ending, but it's crazy. Was, was Abraham really going to kill his son? Yes. Well, Dexter, Abraham would have been like tripping or something. That's crazy. What was he thinking? What was Abraham thinking? I'll tell you what he's thinking. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 to 19, it actually gives us insight on what Abraham was thinking, what was in Abraham's head during this very moment. It says, while Abraham was about to sacrifice the son of promise, he reasoned that God can even raise his son from the dead. So basically what Abraham was thinking, if God's going to ask Isaac, from me, he's going to give him back to me. Why? Because my God is a God that keeps promises. 
He's never broken the promises ever before. He's not going to start now. He promised that there will be many generations through Isaac, but Isaac, he's not married. He doesn't even have kids. And so God's not going to make generations through a corpse. No, he has to raise this corpse. God can raise Isaac back to life. That's what he was thinking. That's why in verse 5, Abraham could say to his servants, me and the boy, we will go over there and worship and we will come back. Not just me will come back, we will come back. And eventually we know that Isaac did not die. God really did provide it. In verse 14, Abraham, out of his praise for God, calls this mountaintop that he was on, he names it, the Lord will provide. And there's two meanings to that name in the original language of the Hebrew. First off, the Lord has provided and the Lord will provide. The Lord has provided and the Lord will provide. That's, that's, that's one. Here's what I don't want you to take away from this sermon. When you go home, you kill your kids. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> That's not my point here tonight. Even though maybe your kids have grown into the teenage years and they're rebellious and sometimes really, don't kill your kids. I'm not advocating child sacrifice by any means. Even for when Abraham heard this command, it was actually quite normal because Abraham was surrounded by people that offered their kids as a sacrifice to their pantheons of gods. Why? It was to appease their God or to please their God. But the God of Christianity is different. Christianity isn't about sacrificing to God. No, it's about God providing the sacrifice for us. It's not about our own merits. It's not by our works. God provides the grace. He provides the mercy out of his love that he does that. So for those of you who are here tonight who are striving with your deeds, because you think God's not pleased with you or God's angry with you. That's, that's why you're, you're working so hard and you're actually serving out of guilt. Or those of you who are serving and, and working so hard, doing this ministry and, and, and attend all these different things, because you think that by doing so, God would love you more. I want to tell you tonight I want to tell you what God wants to tell you tonight. Don't you see? You're already loved. Don't you see? I provide the sacrifice. I provide the sacrifice. And second, secondly, what the name of that mountain means, it could also be translate, translated as the Lord was seen on this mountain and will be seen on this mountain. Because 1,800 years after the event of Isaac and Abraham, there was another pair of father and son who sets out on a journey from heaven's throne to a cold, crude manger. And their destination was on the very same mountain that Abraham and Isaac was on, the region of Mount Moriah. With a donkey, they entered through Jerusalem onto the path of Calvary. This son to the father, it was the only son, the begotten son, the son whom he was well pleased with, but the father so loved the world that he gave 
step by step they were together on this journey. The son carrying his own wood that he will be ultimately bound on, nailed upon, while the father in grief carries the implementation of the son's death. The son was a willing participant. That's why he declares, no one takes my life but my own. I give my life on my own accord. Totally obedient to the father's will. And as they reached their place of promise, there was a crown of thorns placed on his head, just like the ram that was caught in the thickets. The lamb of God offers himself in place, not for just Isaac, but for all of humanity. As he hung there, heads down, arms stretched wide, and as a spear on his side. Church, can you see him? Have you seen him? Can you see him? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all done wrong. There is error in our life. And there is this darkness. And we are without hope and without power to rescue ourselves. Until there was one man who has done nothing wrong. He steps into history's page, having us in mind. He pays the, cro- he pays the cost in redeeming our very souls. And he takes on the penalty. He takes on our guilt. He takes on our shame. He takes on the condemnation. He takes on our judgment that was rightfully on our heads. And so who the son sets free is free indeed. That's why Isaac was unbound. And very similar to this passage, very similar to this passage, neither sons cried out in the process, in in protest in the process. Neither sons cried out in the protest of the process. But there was only one difference. One difference. As Abraham raised the knife, God says, no. Abraham, stop, stop. I don't want your son. Only one of us needs to do that. This mountain will be called, the Lord will provide. I'll provide the sacrifice. I'll provide the blood that it's needed to cover for the multiple sins of the world, all the awful things that humanity has done. It won't be your son. It will be my son. It will be my son that will be given. And so the only difference is this time the knife did not stop, but plunged all the way in and the fire, the wrath of God was poured out. Romans 8 verse 32 says, God did not spare his own son. He gave it up, him up to us willingly for us all. So have you considered who Jesus really is? Who was fully man, fully God. He was the king of kings. He was the creator, God, who created the very wood that they would nail him upon. As nails came into his hands and his feet, as he hangs there, as blood dripped down, you will hear the crowd of jeering and mocking and scorning. Yet if you were there, and if you had a chance to look into his eyes, they were not eyes of fury, 
They were as gentle as can be, merciful as can be. Can you see him? Can you hear that he spoke on the cross a plea, not for himself, but for you and me? As he struggles the grass for air, he managed to say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus then drew his last breath. He really was buried in the tomb. There was silence for three days. But here's the good news. Here's the gospel because the resurrection is the game changer. Like Abraham, he told his servants, me and the boy will go there. We will return to you. Jesus also says to his disciples, three days later, I will raise again and I will be back with you. And really on that faithful Sunday morning, God the Father really did raise the Son of Man from the dead. The stone was rolled away. The tomb was empty. Death has been defeated. The sting has been taken away. And Jesus have taken graves, the graves, keys of hell. And through Him, all nations shall be blessed. First John verse 3, 1 says, See, can you see, church, what great love the Father has lavished upon us that we could be called the children of God? Now you have to ask, and this begs the question, why did Jesus go through that whole process from heaven's throne to the cross and into the grave? Why that whole process? Why? It was to reconcile the loss to the Father. It was for our sake that He was crucified. It was to give us a chance to become sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, His Son. So church, have you seen Him? This is the good news. This is the gospel that grasps my heart time and time again. And I see this scene in my soul and in my spirit. And I am convinced and I'm persuaded that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Saviour. That He is the ultimate display of sacrifice. He is the ultimate display of the Father's love for me. The Lord has provided. The Lord was seen. But tonight I pray that His Holy Spirit helps you see. So church, I'll ask you now to stand up and let's worship the Lord. And through the songs, let this, the words of this song speak to you.